this. Today's going to be a big day, and I got to give you a little bit of setup for this, okay? Um, it was a couple years ago when Nicole and I first moved here, and I had a friend tell me, Brian, you got to check out this thing that happens on Thursday nights in Denver. It's this gathering of all these young people. You won't believe it. So I'm like, okay, I'll get in there. I just barely squeaked in by the skin of my teeth with my age. I was just on the very top end of being able to be able to go in that room and not look like a weirdo. And so I go in there, and what I saw was something I'd never seen before in my life. It was this packed, overflowing room of all these 20-somethings just seeking God and passionately worshiping him in the middle of Denver, of all places, on a Thursday night. And I was like, what in the world is happening here? Because anytime you see like a move of God like that, you know it's God, but you also know he's using some people to make that thing happen. And so I started looking, I'm like, what is going on here? And what I found was there's this woman behind this incredible move named Jessie Davis. And she was leading this incredible Red Rocks Young Adults ministry happening right in our city. And I just started becoming a fanboy after that. I'm like, I gotta follow this ministry and what's going on. And then it was even just in the last few years where Jesse and her husband, John, took a bold step of faith and they planted a brand new church right in Denver called One City Church. Coolest church name I've ever heard in my life. And for the last few years, they have just been making impact and doing the work of God in one of the toughest places in our country. You think of downtown Denver. And so I've been following Jesse's ministry for a couple of years now. And I always knew, I said, if I ever had a chance, you know, as a pastor to be bringing in different friends and, and people in the ministry, I'm like, she is like on my bucket list. If we could ever have Jesse come and share with us, that would just be like world changing for me. So as I'm looking at our schedule for 2024, I see this opportunity. I'm like, I'm just going to shoot my shot. I'm going to reach out to this lady and see if we can make this thing happen. And so Jesse and I connected and you need to know, sometimes guys, you see someone from the stage and you know, you're just kind of like, oh, like that's her stage personality. Jesse's the real deal. Like just her passion for God, her love for people, it just pulsates from her life. And this is not just someone who's a pastor at another church. This is quickly becoming just a friend in the ministry, just a coworker in ministry. So I'm just so grateful. She was so excited. She said, Brian, I'd be honored. I would love to share. It'd be just such a privilege. So Nolan Hills, I am spoiling you all today. You're getting spoiled. So I need you to get rowdy. I need you to get reckless, borderline inappropriate. And I need you to show some love to Jesse Davis coming from One City Church. <laughs> amen, amen. That was way too kind, way too much. Thank you. My ego is prepped. So um, thank you guys. How are we doing this morning? You all all right? All right, 11 a.m. Hey, the 9 a.m. had less coffee than you, and they were pretty hyped. So I have really high expectations for you guys, okay? Um, like uh, Pastor said, my name is Jesse, and it's a privilege, truly an honor to be with you. Uh, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And I just want to take a minute because, man, I've been in ministry for maybe 20 years. Um, and what we do is, is different. And I definitely know that what Pastor Brian and Nicole does is very different. And they pay prices in the dark that probably none of us know about. And I just thought I'd take a minute to just say that what's happening here at your church is very unique. It is not happening in the rest of the country. The Lord's hand is here. So I just wanted to take a minute and honor your pastors, the leadership here, the volunteers, people that are just sewing and working so hard. Can you just give it up because you love your pastors so much. 
cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. Don't tell my kids. Um, <laughs> I am married this summer for 15 years to one of the most amazing men. He um, is lead pastor of our church in Denver. And so here's a photo of our family. That's John Davis. He's teaching right now, I think, or almost finishing at our church. Um, and then that's Brooklyn Diane. She's our oldest. Um, she is very strong will. She is strong in body and in will. And we always say she's going to be famous or infamous. So pray for her. Our second born is Georgia Faith. She's in the middle. She is sweet as a Georgia peach. And so her name fits her perfectly. And then our youngest is Houston. He's nuts because he's three, uh, but he's so much fun. He loves cars and trucks and trains. And right now he's really into rockets. So we do not have Houston. We do not have any problems. He's the best. And so um, John and I, though, we planted a church in the middle of the pandemic. So it was the highest case count in Denver, um, highest case count that year in 2020. It was November 22nd of 2020. And when all of Denver was going dark, and believe me, the city got way darker that year, um, and everybody was closing their doors and everybody was fleeing the city, that's when we ran in. Because I would read about the church fathers and mothers that had gone before us, and they were the people who, when people left the cities and plagues, they went in to take care of the dying. And I remembered looking at John, and I was like, do we go? And he's like, oh, we definitely go. We go now. We like to say at One City Church, we go when it's dark, because we actually believe. We actually believe that we are the hope of the world. We are the bride of Christ. And so we launched our church that year because we actually believe that the church at large needs to be moving in a brand new way. Now, I don't know if you know this, okay, but for the last 30 years, kind of the way that church has been done for the last 30 years, the way we've done evangelism, it's kind of not working anymore. And so God has to do something new now. And I believe he is doing something new. And so what I want to preach to your church about this morning is I want to preach to you about how God is going to do something that is beyond what you are expecting. And I want to preach to you about this idea of measuring. Um, we are a culture, we are a people universally that love to measure. If you were to travel outside of America and go to any other country in the world, they would have the metric standard or the metric uh, form of measurement. So they've got meters and kilometers. Here in America, I, I love the American like rebel spirit. We're like, we're going to do it different, you know? And so we've got the standard measurement uh, system here. So we've got inches and feet and miles, right? But anywhere you go, there is an obsession with measuring. When it comes to church, we want to know, well, how many people come into your church? How many people you baptize in? What's the size of your church? What's the square footage? When it comes to our lives, we want to know, well, what's your job? What's your role? You going to get promoted this year? You got a house? How many bedrooms you got in the house? We are a people that love to measure. And when it comes to your life, and this next season, the next six months, the next year of your life, I want to ask you a simple question. What is it that you are asking God for and praying for in this next season of your life? Maybe you're like, man, it would be so awesome if my company would grow 2%. Be amazing. Maybe you're like, wow, it would be so cool if I got a raise and it was 3%. It would be amazing if I could put just X amount of dollars into my 401k. It'd be amazing if I could work out just X amount of times per month. And here's what I know about you, even though I don't know about you, is that no matter what you're thinking about your life right now, no matter what you're dreaming about, about your life, it is more likely than not measurable. 
And yet we serve a God that doesn't operate that way. In fact, Ephesians 3, which this is your lead pastor's favorite verse, and so this should be a battle cry of this house, is this. It says this in Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably. Then we could think, ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We serve a God who made us, formed us, fashioned us, and the only way that he works is in a way that is immeasurable. And so I know we already prayed, but that's what I titled this morning is immeasurable if you're taking notes, but I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come one more time. So Holy Spirit, would you come? God, I set myself aside. I ask that your word would just be powerful in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you just go before us? Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you love us so much. For every single person in here who has dormant hopes and rubbles in their their life that they need resurrected, God, would you just move? Would you speak to us today? Come in a brand new way. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. So we are a culture that loves to quantify and qualify based on measurements. And we know this is true because everything you watch on television, every sport that you love, loves to measure and loves to use statistics. Last week was the Super Bowl and um, <laughs> Pastor Brian last week wore a Chiefs jersey and I wrote him, I wrote him, he can tell you, this is an actual thing I wrote him. I was like, oh, I don't know if we can be friends anymore, man. <laughs> and then he was like, oh no, I lost a bet. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's the only reason I would wear one too. You know, so, so uh, we, uh, we here in Colorado have the Lord's team, the Denver Broncos. And right now, <laughs> They're going through the valley of the shadow of death, so we need, we need your prayers. We need, your, we need prayers. Like, what is happening to our team, right? But to make ins, like insult to injury, you know, uh, the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl, and then the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, it's fine. It, you know, at least Usher was there. So, so, but... As we're watching this, you're watching the sportscasters and the statisticians, and they're telling you all of the data. And so they're like, oh, this is their conversion rate on third down and fourth down, and this is their uh, field goal kicking rates, and this is how many interceptions that they've had in this quarter or in this quarter, right? We are obsessed with statistics. We are obsessed with measuring. If you were to go to a hockey game in Denver, uh, they'll show you up on the scoreboards. They've got like, you know, the score, but then they've got everything else. They've got statics or uh, statistics about every single player out there. And they've got, you know, their shots on goal and uh, maybe their power play percentages of shots on goal and so on and so forth. If you were to watch the NBA, they want to know your height. They want to know your rebound rate. If you are a student in here, we want to know what's your GPA. If it's America, we want to know what's the GDP. If it's a church, we want to know how many people you got going. We are obsessed with measuring. And this is the same way that we have always been as a human race. In fact, thousands of years ago, they were obsessed with measuring as well. It says this in 1 Samuel. It says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome of a man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So they looked at this man named Saul, and immediately what they tried to do is measure him. 
And they're like, oh, look at him. He's a head taller than anybody else. We love to measure. In high school, I played uh, volleyball. We got any volleyball players in here? Come on, somebody. Two. Awesome. Okay. Wow. All right. So I played right outside hitter. And um, if someone really loved me and cared about me, they'd be like, hey, Jess, they'd have a conversation and be like, you're five foot five and don't have much of a vertical. So maybe rethink your life. But nobody did that. So I played right outside hitter. And, um, and when we would warm up for a game, there would be a visitor team and a home team. And the home team was in charge of the playlist. And that was my job as one of the captains. And so I built a playlist with Missy Elliott and Foo Fighters because I grew up during a time when music actually meant something. Amen. And so I built this playlist, but the whole goal of your warm-up time was to get into the head of the other team and to intimidate them before the game even got started. And so you would warm up so hard. You'd be like serving. And when you would do hitting drills, you'd be working as hard as you can to like spike the ball, maybe on the 10 foot line. And then to kind of just seal the deal and to make an intimidation as, as much as you possibly could, they would announce, this is a true story, every single player on the starting line, and then they would announce their height. And so they'd be like, Kristen Pierce, five foot 11. Carrie Pride, five foot 10. Bianca Thompson, six foot. If they had a girl that was six foot, you were like, oh my gosh. I mean, it literally was like a Goliath moment, right? If they had more than one girl that was six foot, it was like, we should probably just quit before we even get in the game. You know, like so much intimidation. And so I would have to turn in my name and I would have to turn in my height to the announcer before the game. And I did what any God-fearing uh, future pastor would do and I lied. <laughs> And I was like, Jess Hills, that was my maiden name. And I was like, five foot eight. And then I like stood up, you know, to be like, what? Don't question, right? And <laughs> I lied. I lied because measurements matter. We add value to or take away value from uh, based on how we measure up. And I think we are a society that's obsessed with measuring things and looking at statistics because we want to be a people that said, I told you so. Oh, do you see that stock? I've been watching the statistics. I've been watching the probabilities. I've been watching the data. I knew it was going to blow up. I told you so. Do you see that player? Uh, yeah, he was all the talk a year ago, but I've been watching his statistics. I knew he wasn't going to be a draft pick. I told you so. Oh, do you see that team? I knew that they were going to make it to the playoffs. I've been watching the data. I told you so. Do you see that housing slump? I saw it coming. been watching the data. I told you so. Because we honestly think that if we can just get good enough measurements or we can get good enough statistics that we can predict the outcome of the future of that person or that thing. Thousands of years ago, they looked at a man named Saul and they're like, oh, look at him. He's a head taller than everybody else. His arm length is way longer than anybody. He could throw a spear further than anybody else. Boom, I told you so, king material. And yet God... Our God interrupts this statistics party with this statement. It says this in 1 Samuel. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And here's what God's saying here. He's saying, you better be careful, careful how you measure, because I see beyond all of that. 
Rochelle Goodrich has a quote that goes like this. It says, statistics, likelihoods, and probabilities mean everything to men and nothing to God. God sees one, or I almost said one city church. That's my church. I'm not at my church. I'm so sorry. Love you, Northern Hills. Um, God sees beyond probabilities. He sees beyond statistics. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to get out your Bibles. If you got your phones, that's great. We're going to be in the book of Zechariah. Go ahead and turn there. Uh, it is in the Minor Prophets. While you're getting there, I'm going to set up the scene for you, okay? So Zechariah, we're going to be in chapter 2. When Zechariah is born, he is born into Babylonian captivity. He is a prophet at the end of Babylonian captivity. He is a contemporary of Haggai. He prophesied from like 520 BC to 480 BC, okay? And he receives a word from the Lord to go and return to Jerusalem. So you have to imagine this. He grew up in captivity. He has never seen his Jewish homeland, never. He receives a word from the Lord to return to Jerusalem and that it is going to be a part of his calling to rebuild Jerusalem. This is his call. And so he packs up with a couple of young guns. It's him and a couple of uh, buddies of his. There's a man named Zerubbabel. There's another man named Joshua. He's the high priest at the time. And they return to Jerusalem uh, to rebuild it, which is somewhat of a joke because at this point it is just laying in rubble. The walls are broke down. The city does not exist. Nobody lives there. They are either in Babylonian captivity or they're scattered abroad in diaspora. And he returns to the city that is in ruins. And I was thinking about that word ruins this week, like a lot. And I was thinking about how when you go to, you know, you go to Greece or you go to Rome and you visit ruins, what you are going to see is something that like used to have glory. Like you're going and you're seeing, if you're seeing the Colosseum in Rome or you're going to Greece and you're going to see, you know, temples there, you see Herod's temple, you are going to see something that used to have glory, but does not have glory anymore. And I think there is no more difficult place in our life than to believe in the work of God in a place of our life that used to have the hand of God, that used to have the favor of God, that used to maybe have the promise of God, but seemingly does not have it anymore. Amen? I don't know where you're at right now in your life. I don't know what your marriage is like, what your kids is like, what your job is like, what your hopes are like, what your heart is like, what your mental health is like. But here's what I can tell you is that there's probably a whole bunch of us in here who have rubble and ruins in some place in our life that used to have glory and does not anymore. I look at the American church right now and I think this is a very relatable text because for the last 10 years, like man, we've had it handed to us. In the last five years, we've seen mega churches just implode overnight. Pastors that I used to preach with, pastors that I used to rub elbows with have moral failures overnight, just gone, just. And I look at kind of where the American church is at right now and I'm like, man, it kind of feels a little bit like Jerusalem. Like I can see some former glories, but I don't know, Lord, do you have more glory still? And what's amazing about Zechariah is that Zechariah returns to those rebels and he has faith and he has belief and he returns to the rubble with some group of friends. And when he gets there, everything's in ruins. Reminded, there are no leadership at this point. There's no presidents, there's no kings. It's just Zechariah and his friends. 
And when he shows up, he begins to uh, get a series of visions from an angel. And we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 2, and this is in the middle of that series of visions. It says, And I lifted my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hands. And I said to him, Where are you going? And he said, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. So Zechariah is being ministered to by an angel and another man or another angel shows up. So angel number two shows up and when he shows up, he has a measuring line in his hand. And immediately uh, Zechariah says, behold, and there's an exclamation point there because he is in awe. Like he cannot believe this is happening. He's like, whoa, he has a, he's got a measuring line in his hand and it's to emphasize like awe, wonder, behold, this is amazing. And then he looks at the angel and he says, where are you going? I love this part. And the angel says, oh, I'm going to go measure Jerusalem to see its width and to see its length. And he takes off and begins measuring all of the city, its width and its length to see, apparently, if it can hold everything that God wants to do. Which you have to imagine, Northern Hills, at this point is a little bit ludicrous, okay? Because the city is in ruins. No one's living there except for gypsies. This would be like you going into downtown Denver or an angel taking us into downtown Denver and we go to some dilapidated, broke down building that used to be a church without walls and then the angel starts measuring it and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, Jess, I want to see if it can hold uh, the population of Denver. This is what this would be like. And here is what the angel is trying to say to Zachariah's heart right now. I have to measure it to see if it can hold everything that God wants to do. I have to measure it to see if it is capable of holding the power of God. And then it says this, verse three. It says, and behold, the angel who talked to me came forward and another angel came uh, forward to meet him and said to uh, tell me or to run to him. And it says, run and say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I, and I will be her wall of fire around her, declares the Lord, and I will be her glory in her midst. So you have to picture this. The angel finishes measuring. And then he goes to the other angel and he's like, okay, okay, uh, I need you to go tell Zechariah now. I need, you to, I need you to go tell him, run and go tell him that the city is not even going to have walls because of the multitude of people that God is going to bring to it, because of the livestock and the commerce that he is going to bring within it. And he says, it won't need walls because I will be the fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. And it's almost as if he's saying, hey, I got you the measuring tape to show you how absolute the measuring tape actually is. And so what about you, Northern Hills? What are you thinking of in this season? What are you dreaming about? What are those ruins that are dormant in your heart? Maybe for you, it's that you wanna get married or you wanna get married again, but man, that first marriage, it is in ruins. So you're like, I don't know if you could do it again. I don't know if I'm even kind enough or good enough or gentle enough for you to do it again. 
Maybe for you, it's that God would blow on your business or he would resurrect a dream in your heart. It would move, he would move you into a new phase of influence. He would grow the church here at Northern Hills. Um, and whatever your dreams are, maybe it's to go on a date, maybe it's to go to school, maybe whatever it is, I think in 2024, God's looking at all of us and he's like, oh, that's so cute. Look at you with your little measuring line. That's like, that's like precious. I love my kids. God asked the angel to bring a measuring tape so he can show how beyond measuring he is. Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this prophecy gets given to Zechariah. But then Zechariah has to go and he has to tell his boys, okay? He's got to go tell them. So he goes back to the guys. He goes back to Zerubbabel. He goes back to Joshua and he's like, okay, I got to tell you, whoa, I just got a vision from the Lord. And they're like, okay, man, okay, cool. Tell us about it. And he's like, okay, I got to talk to you specifically, Zerubbabel, because listen, and here's the part where I need you to key in. Zerubbabel is the one that is going to carry out the word from the Lord. Zechariah heard it, Zerubbabel's gonna do it. He's like, Zerubbabel, here's the deal. Because Zerubbabel was the city builder, okay? He was the civic leader. He's like, here's the deal. God is going to rebuild this city. And he goes, and, um, and here's the deal. It, it doesn't even need walls because of the multitude of people that God is going to bring in it and the amount of livestock and the amount of commerce. Like it's gonna be more glorious than anything we've ever seen. And you, Zerubbabel, are gonna be the one that does it. And here's the deal, I think this is where we get hung up in the church. This is where as followers of God, we have a little bit of a problem because God gives us a word from the Lord and then we believe it is our job to accomplish it. At one point, Spurgeon is preaching a sermon and I was reading a sermon that he wrote years ago and he said, oh, that the congregants, that followers of Jesus would be just a little bit incapable, that they would be a little bit inept lest they think that the will and the power of God is contingent upon them. See, because we hear like, oh, hey, uh, God is about to do the immeasurable in this church and in your life. We hear that and we're like, that's amazing. And he's gonna do it through you. And we're like, amen. But then what we actually hear is God is going to do the immeasurable in this church and in your life. And you need to do it for God. And so we set off as capable human beings in our own self-effort trying to achieve the will and the work of the power of God. And it's almost as if God knows us, like he knows like our propensity towards self-reliance and self-effort and self-justification. And so God speaks to Zerubbabel before he even begins the work. We find this in Zechariah 4. He says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So might, that word might there is a Greek word for collective strength. Uh, it would be like the collective power of a group of people. If you think of the U.S. military and you think of ammunition and you think of numbers and you think of the collective poise and might, that is the word might. 
When we hear the word power, that is individual capacity, that is talents and giftings and capabilities of an individual. And God is speaking to Zerubbabel and he's like, hey, look, this is not gonna come by the, the group and, and just a massive move of many, nor is it gonna come by the capabilities and the faculties of a small few, but it will only come by the power of my spirit. And I believe with all my heart that God wanted me to come here today and encourage a church in Northern Colorado that what he's doing here is so abnormal. I travel a lot. I see a lot of churches. Um, I know a lot of pastors. What's happening here, I can tell you, is not the story of the American church at large. God's hand is here. God's doing something very unique here. And I believe he's actually only getting started but here's the reality, is that we did not, you did not start this fire. The Lord did. It is our job, however, to steward what the Lord has started. And so how do you steward the immeasurable? That's the question for the believer. First of all, you have to believe that he wants to do the immeasurable. That's some of your challenge in here today. Some of you, like, that's your first blockade. Oh, I have to actually believe that he wants to do something new in my, oh, I, I actually have to, I have to work through that unbelief. But for some of you, it's that you have to steward what it is that God is about to do. And so for the next couple of minutes, I just want to preach to you on how do you initiate the immeasurable. The first thing is this, is number one, you have to understand that it is beyond your ability it is beyond your faculties and capacities. Uh, growing up, I had a gerbil. Anybody have gerbils in the house? Isn't it amazing that your parents let you have rodents in the house? My, my uh, Georgia Faith, she wants an animal so bad. And I'm like, no. And we, our dogs have passed away. And so I'm like, I'm not quite ready yet. You know, and she's like, can I just have a fish? Like she just is, she wants an animal so bad. And I'm like, no. My parents, however, were super cool. They let me have rodents all growing up. So I had a gerbil named Jojo and then, and then he died. And so I got Jojo Jr. And then he died. So I got Jojo Jr. The same, so on and so forth, right? And I would put him in those little ceramic balls and uh, that you would kind of close the top and then they could just run around the kitchen and I'd be doing dishes. But if I didn't close off the stairs, you'd hear him like, do, 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 do. and I'd be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, and I'd grab him and be like, Jojo, you okay? You know, and then I'd have to go get Jojo Jr. the fifth. So, so, so my mom was like, how about we get a stationary wheel? And so we did, got one of those stationary wheels in his cage. And he's nocturnal, it's 2 a.m. And you'd hear Jojo going to town on that, on that little wheel. It'd be like, beep, 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 like it squeaks, you know, every night for half an hour. It's amazing to me though, but I think for a lot of us, this is representational of our Christian life. That man, we get into the wheel of working for God and we're running and we're working and we're going as fast as we can, but we're not getting anywhere. And I don't know if you feel this way. You're like, man, I've been fighting this sin and I've been trying to battle this sin my whole life, but you're not getting anywhere. Or maybe for you, you've been trying to resurrect that marriage or you've been trying to work on your business or you've been trying to repair your finances, but you're not getting anywhere. And here's the deal is that many of us operate out of something that the Bible calls the flesh. 
And it is everything that you are apart from Christ and everything that I am apart from Christ. It is your self-reliance and it is my self-reliance. It is your self-justification and it is my self-justification. And it is in opposition to the Holy Spirit. And so before they even get started, they're like, it's not gonna be by might. It's not gonna be by power, but it is going to be by my spirit, declares the Lord. And it's almost as if God is like, hey, I need your flesh to shut up because I'm about to move. Galatians says this. It says, in Galatians 3, it says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the flesh or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This is what it's saying. When you got saved and when I got saved, maybe it was in high school, maybe it was here in this church, but God found you. He found you in the pit. Do you remember where you were when Jesus, I remember where I was. I was like a broken 17-year-old girl in need of salvation. I had an eating disorder. I was highly dysfunctional. I needed something new, and he found me. And we know, like, right? You know, like, oh, man, he found me in the middle of my pit, and it was only by his spirit. He saved you by his spirit. But then what we do is we try to finish our walk with Jesus, and we try to finish it in our own effort. What God is telling Zerubbabel and all of these men that are going to rebuild this city is he's like, hey, this thing began as a miracle. Please do not try to finish it in something that is measurable. Philippians says this. This is the amplified version. It says, now, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work within you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire, both the will and the, the will, both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. What God is saying to a whole bunch of us in here today is, hey, I got you. I got you. And you don't need to work at this. In fact, your flesh is probably getting in the way. And I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying go, don't do your nine to five. Here's what I am saying is that a whole bunch of us need to stop having so much self-reliance and have a whole lot more God reliance, not by your power, not by your might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Number two, it's going to be beyond what you can imagine. I think it's important to set goals. At the beginning of the year, John and I always set goals. I love New Year's resolutions. I think everybody should do them. Sometimes you'll hear pastors kind of, um, you know, talk about how you shouldn't do New Year's resolutions because you're just going to quit by February 15th anyway, you know, so why even try? Um, but I think it's good to desire more. The Bible says that we are transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. Like we should want to change. We should want to grow. We should want to better ourselves. And here's my point is that it is awesome to have goals. You should have them. It is awesome to have ambitions. You should definitely have them. But here's what you need to know about our God is that he wants to do something that is beyond what you could imagine. The Bible says this in Proverbs. It says uh, in Proverbs 19, it says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16 says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Dreaming is fine. The imaginative power of Jesus is wonderful, but God will always do something that is beyond what you could imagine. I love how I love your babies. It makes me miss my babies and they're always welcome in church, amen? amen. They are always welcome here. They are the next generation. Their cries are praise to the Lord. So, where was I? Now I'm thinking about babies. 
Every like, every six months, I'm like, you think we should have one more? John's like, no, we're drowning. Um, <laughs> years ago, I, I ran a young adult ministry and I really did get to see the hand of God. And that's why I say it's not normal because you don't get to see it all the time. I'm just being real. Done this for 20 years. You don't get to see it all the time. What's happening here is not normal. But I ran this young adult ministry and it was growing and the Lord's hand was on it. And we would do every year this thing called the meetup. And we would do it at an outdoor amphitheater in Denver. And we would have music and uh, we would preach a short word. And the whole point of it was we wanted to deliver the gospel to people that maybe hadn't heard the gospel in the form of music and maybe a short sermon. And we had food trucks and games and all kinds of things, like loud music. It was awesome. We did it our first year. We prayed about it so much. Man, we, we just invited as many people as we possibly could. Not kidding, it rained the entire time. We had a couple hundred people show up and that day one, one man got saved. It was pretty awesome. We did it the next year and a couple more hundred people came. Maybe a dozen people got saved. The next year, a couple hundred more people came. Uh, but it was the fourth year that we did it and we were preparing and getting ready and we had gotten this amphitheater, rented this amphitheater that was massive. It was like this big grassy knoll, like massive grassy knoll. And the, at the bottom of it was the amphitheater. And at the top, that was where we put all the food trucks and that was where people entered in. And so I was down at the stage, like talking to our tech team and getting some stuff done. And then I was like, well, I'm gonna go up, stop, up top and like see if people are starting to show up. And I was excited, right? And as I'm making my way up the hill, like I start to see like hundreds of people. And then I saw like thousands of people. And then I saw like thousands more. And I remember being like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, you ever feel like that? I know you feel like that in this house. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening right now. But I know it doesn't have to do with me. And that day we had like 40 people get saved. I remember when we were in worship, I just started sobbing. I remember I was wearing sandals. I remember exactly the moment. Like, I just felt like I was seeing a tidal wave of the Holy Spirit. And I just got to be a part. It will be beyond what you can imagine. One of my mentors and pastors said on a podcast recently, uh, they said, hey, I don't do like a five-year plan anymore. Again, I think you should maybe try and at least make some ambition of some goals. But she said, I don't do that anymore because the Lord says he is able to do immeasurably more than I could think or imagine. And so my job is to lose myself into Christ and his job is to accomplish his work through me which leads to my last point, and it's this, it will be by the Spirit. So God goes to Zechariah, and he says, you need to tell Zerubbabel, not by, my, not by power, but by my Spirit, declares the Lord. That word spirit there is the word ruah. It means the breath of God. It is the same breath of God that we find in Genesis 1 when God is creating everything that we see, the heavens and the earth and animals and sea creatures. It is that same breath of God that we find in Exodus 15 that splits the Red Sea in two so that they can make it through to the other side. It is that same breath of God in Ezekiel 37 that resurrects dry bones. It is God's spirit, Northern Hills, that does all this. It is God's spirit that will open doors for you that no man can shut. It is God's spirit that resurrects dead and dried bones. It is God's spirit that takes the ruins of your life and absolutely makes a new glory. He can take glorious ruins and make them full of glory once again. That's what our God does in the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, it's one of my favorite moments. He's with his guys and he's like, he's resurrected and he's like, I'm gonna have to go soon. And they begin to panic. They're like, where are you going? Please don't go. I love Jesus so much. They're like, please don't leave. And he's like, no, 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 I must go. I have to return to my father. And then he says this. He says, it is better for you that I go. Northern Hills, what could be better than walking every single day with Jesus Christ? What could be better than eating lunch with him and like being like, let's go see some penguins. Let's go cast out a demon. Woo! Heaven's gonna be awesome, but we don't get to cast out demons. I'm like, oh, really excited for heaven. Would be pretty cool to see some more demons cast out though. What could be better Northern Hills than walking every day with Jesus. And he says this, he says, it's better that I go because then I'm gonna send my spirit, which is my very life, to live in you. John 14 says this, truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Isn't that amazing? And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen. And so if you would feel comfortable, I'd love for you to stand as we finish out. When God does something in his church, when he does something in his house, when he does something in our lives, sometimes we need to surrender what we think because it's gonna be beyond what we think. When God moves, it will be beyond what we plan. And listen to me, it will be beyond your strength. And it will be a season where you say to God, God, I can't do it, but praise be to God, you can. And so with every head bowed, I just have one question, every eye closed, and it's simply this. Um, Man, when I came in, I just felt a burden for relationships that are in rubble, relationships that are in turmoil, relationships that are in ruins. Some of you have businesses that are in ruins. Some of you have children that are in ruins. Some of you, um, you have finances that are in ruins. Whatever that thing is for you, would you just in your mind, just lift that up to God right now? And if that's you in here and you felt bold enough, would you just say, man, there's some things in my life that right now is frankly in rubble. Would you just raise your hand so I can see you and pray for you? A whole bunch of us, wow. I feel like God just wants to tell you this morning, number one, he loves you so much. Number two, he wants to do something in you and through you. This is the only way he works because listen, this is how he gets glory that is immeasurable. 
And so Lord, for every single person in here that raised their hands and said, yes, God, God, we, uh, we just have some ruins in our life and whatever that is, God, I just pray that you would breathe your ruah, your breath of God, your spirit over those dry bones, over those ruins. I pray that you would resurrect. And I pray that the lie that says there is no more glory to be had here, I pray that you would deal with that in Jesus' name. And God, instead you would replace it with the hope of glory, which is Christ in us. And so Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you not only saved us, but you are actually our life. And I pray blessing over this church, God. May you do immeasurably more than we could think, ask, or imagine. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.